It's not like us. It's unlike us. I don't know what it wants, or if it wants, but it'll grow until it encompasses everything. Our bodies and our minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains. Annihilation. It sounds a lot like what happens to a mind that can't comprehend the Lovecraftian film it just watched. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 2018's Annihilation, written and directed by Alex Garland, based on the novel written by Jeff Vandermeer, um, a trilogy of novels from what I understand. I have not read any of them. Uh, yeah, I only read a little bit of the first one, and I'll have a story about that later. But, <laughs> uh, but um, before we get into our discussion of Annihilation, which uh, James shamefully only watched for the first time uh, for this episode, and which I have yeah. now watched three times, James, um, we have some other points to talk about. Um, so, you know, look in the show notes because I always include, if you don't want to, if you don't want to, you know, pay attention to the idle, uh, jibber jabber chit chat, you'll know the time code to skip ahead for the discussion of Annihilation, but we have other things to talk about, starting with WandaVision and why just because we, we want to talk about it. We, like everyone have been watching, have been intrigued, have been eagerly anticipating every week. James, I think you watch it on Friday when it debuts. We wait until Saturday mornings or lazy Saturday mornings to kind of watch nice. it and avoid the what seems to be now these days an imminent Disney server crash. Uh, with I keep, watch. You know, it's funny. I keep hearing about that. And like what's funny is that I luck out mm-hmm. because Thursdays is one of my days off. So from work and, I, and if everyone, if, you, if someone's new to this, they don't know that I'm, I work overnight. So mm-hmm. When your schedule's all screwed up, right now, like, we're recording this on a Thursday for the first time, mm-hmm. and it's early still, but I'll probably nap for a bit later, I'll wake up again, I'll, and then in the middle of the night, I'll, I'll be up. I'll be up at <laughs> 3 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And what I've realized is that, let me go on Disney+, Plus. oh shit, it just popped up. <laughs> let me watch it before anyone else does, before they can ruin it for me. Yep, mm-hmm. And it's and it's actually been really great because it's been one of those things where I'll just I'll have like a nice like a nice beer and I'll you know like a little snack and I'll watch WandaVision and I'll just be like and so far every week I've just been like enthralled and like excited and like shocked or amazed that certain characters that I thought would never appear mm-hmm. in a Marvel like a live action Marvel production would actually appear and we'll get into that but like i'm like i'm just digging this so much where every time you think i think i know where it's going it kind of throws a little curveball you go oh okay i had a feeling that was going to happen but where the hell is it going to go next right and, and and i think we've we've even i mean we this isn't the first time we've even talked about wandavision on this podcast right. we we've speculated about if wandavision is going to bring about a house of m type of scenario uh-huh. um, yep. and and there's been two primary websites that I don't want to say I will check out, but I guess I do because they continuously show up in my Facebook feed. So when I click on the articles that that encourages the algorithm to continue showing me these sponsored ads from like screen rant and comic book movies.com, yes. which every weekend are like, here's what these Easter eggs could point to. Here's what, so there's, there's no shortage of speculation as to could they be bringing in the X-Men? Could they be bringing in the Fantastic Four? Which, weirdly, the internet is really hung up on John Krasinski specifically playing Reed Richards, which I don't know why, but... I mean, I mean, look, in a, in a world, like, I like John Krasinski enough, and I think he wouldn't be a bad pick, especially if 
in a perfect world, his wife Emily Blunt could play oh, sure. Sue Storm. Mm-hmm. Then it's then it's a perfect dynamic right there. But do I think he's the perfect choice? At one point, I thought maybe he'd be great, but now I've been seeing some other people. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a few other people you could choose, but that might actually get a little um, pushback, so to speak. You know that when I mean pushback, I mean um, sadly uh, actors that are not white. Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure you're referring you know, to you know there's, what? there's a lot of people who are like, how about Daniel Day Kim, who would probably be fantastic. Oh, I think Daniel Day Kim would be really good. Yeah, no. Um, oh. but, but that, that's, that's, that's a, a whole Neither here there. Yeah, separate yeah. conversation. Yeah. Cause WandaVision is, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I was always going to tune in just because of like, I need something to feed my Marvel fix before the, the movies come out. Cause of the pandemic, everything is on hold. And exactly, you know, we are along with a consensus where we love it. It's weird. It's new. <laughs> it is exciting. And so I, I, I don't really know what to uh, discuss or where to start, but I, I guess uh, I mean we are we are recording this episode after the last episode in which it was revealed that um it was mm-hmm. Agatha all along. Yes, <laughs> which Agatha, Agatha Harkness, the, the, the yeah the witch like in the comics, the witch character that she's been alive for hundreds of years was burnt at the stake during one of the the, the witch trials mm-hmm. and but is actually. Um, a mentor towards Scarlet Witch yeah. in the comics. So mm-hmm. it's kind of weird. It's like, oh, she's a villain. But, you know, it's a speculation. And what I kind of think is we have not met her husband, Ralph, yet. Yes, that's correct. Who I think is going to be Mephisto. Okay. That's kind of putting her towards it. Because remember, witches in, in the lore mm-hmm. um, have you know usually take Satan or a satanic character as their master. Yeah. Like, that's their master. And remember, she has like a familiar who's her little rabbit, Mr. Scratch or whatever his name, right? It's Scratch. Senior Scratchy, yes. Senior Scratchy. <laughs> Which Senior Scratch? Scratch, Mr. Scratch, the Scratch. Oh yeah, okay, all Satan. right. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. And then the whole thing with like she's siphoning off Wanda's power, as we can kind of tell, you know, by her own hex vision of like the purple color. Mm. Um, and there's a book. And is that you know? Of course, people are like, oh, it's the Necronomicon. I'm like, well, okay, uh, yes, if you want to tie it, no. But I think it's like the Book of Darkhold. I think Darkhold, is... yeah, which seems to be the speculation. Which even, I mean, come yeah. on, Lovecraftian fans, like, I get it. Come on, he his influence is widespread. But I've even seen someone post on the HP Lovecraft Historical Society Facebook page that like. Could it be a Cthulhu tie-in because Darkhold is connected with this entity whose name I'll probably mispronounce, but like, oh, like yeah. Cthon or something? Cthon, yeah, yeah. I'm like, eh, I think you're kind of reaching there. But yeah, yeah so so I mean, it certainly, I, I must say that the the reveal of, I mean, the, the reveal of Agatha was something I think I always kind of suspected just because yes. of reading other people's speculations and how Wanda had Same. a mentor who was another witch and there was a lot of mystery surrounding Agnes as a character. So that's, I mean... The reveal was not surprising, but also still pretty cool. I, I won't take yeah. anything away from that. But yeah, then it it, the, it begs the question of what that implies or hints towards, because knowing WandaVision ties into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, right? and then also thinking at some point there has to be some introduction to Kang the Conqueror, who is allegedly going to be the big bad of the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Is he connected to this somehow? Is it just another... Yeah, is it Mephisto? Is it 
whatever. And is there some connection? Because I was reminded of this last week on a Zoom call with my family because my oldest brother was big into comics when we were much younger. I forgot that one, there's a Morbius movie coming out, which like who yes. could, who could give a shit about that? But two, yeah, well, Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah right. does Morbius connect with? dark hole with this stuff how are they looping so it just it just raises all these more questions of like what is this hinting towards and of course we'll probably learn more in a few days when the next episode debuts but like i love that this is that this show is bringing back and it wasn't just this show it wasn't just the mandalorian i mean it was any kind of you know decent show that was uh, being released on a weekly basis which is admittedly rare in the streaming services mm-hmm. but water cooler conversation speculation developing a community and that kind of like i i love i love that this is happening well yeah and it's it's also been making me like because if people know me i'm it's hard for me to get into a tv series it's mm. it's hard i i it's weird because i can watch i can watch a three-hour movie but <clears throat> a tv series even though if it's a half hour or an hour every week or whatever it's just hard especially when they put up the whole series right away yeah here you can watch you could binge watch it. I don't binge watch. Yeah. Even when I like something, I can't binge watch something. So this has been one of those things where I'm like, okay, let me like the last show that I watched weekly was the third season of Twin Peaks. That was the last show that I was like hundred percent into. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar in a way. WandaVision has very much some Twin Peaks esque like flutterings in it. Like you mm-hmm. can tell they probably like that's probably one of the shows that they put on a post-it note and said, okay, we're going to kind of get a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And the only other show that was like that for me in the last like five years was at least the first two seasons of Legion, which is another Marvel yeah. character, mm-hmm. not in the Marvel universe technically, but who knows with the whole multiverse Legion's a character that is a, as they call them, like the Scarlet Witches, a nexus character that's right and that was that was brought in as a as a concept with the the commercial in the last episode the nexus the you know prescription right? thing yeah but if yeah and that's crazy like to me like it's ballsy because how you know how, you know look they could have easily made a show that just played to like what has worked action some funny quips and some like deep stuff in there, but you know, there's a formula. This has broken the formula. Mm-hmm. Like to me, like you know, and like you know, and people, you know, I, I read something. Oh, it's boring and stuff. I'm like, what are you watching? Like, <laughs> this is boring. Like, like for, maybe okay. So maybe one, you don't, you're not a sitcom fan, which is fine. But I I love the care and that each episode with when they go into a sitcom has like really replicated very well yeah. like like the newest one which actually is called breaking the fourth wall <laughs> yeah. is all about like the office and modern family style comedies so <clears throat> what i love about that is that you have this weird concept of they're talking to somebody there's someone that's interviewing every single person mm-hmm. and when we're, and when it's revealed that it's actually agatha harkness is the one that's interviewing at least Scarlet Witch. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, like that blows my mind where it's like, wait, she's actually the one talking. Cause like, there's a one scene in that episode where you hear a person ask a question. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like Agatha. No. 
right? It sounded like a man, I think, right? That, that's what it sounded like to me. So that kind of creeps me out too. Is that Mephisto talking through her? Like, there's a lot of you know, there's different ways you can look at it. Like, and that's kind of like what's exciting about this type of stuff, where we're comic nerds and other shows I've listened to, like they like, oh my god, is this is AIM gonna come back? The group, you know, AIM, and like you know, because of the B hot, you know, the beekeeper outfit, but then sword being this group that i never thought would be involved is like shield but for alien menaces but right. is this an alien menace not really well and because even even with now bringing sword into the the public consciousness now with the recently um you know confirmed spider-man uh yes and i've already forgotten the the, the title they actually announced it to be Oh, they did. Oh, they didn't. Oh, I didn't know they announced the title. Oh, yeah, so. they 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 announced it officially. Um, Spider-Man: No Way Home. Um, oh, is yeah, the they brought the home back. Okay. And and I believe it. It's an official poster that they just released as well, where it's Spider-Man kind of standing on the deck of what looks like a spaceship, looking out into space, and oh. on the floor of yeah. the, of wherever he is standing, there's an emblem for sword. So, oh. Which because Shield is technically dead now. Yes, and so there is no more Shield. So I guess Sword is going to be the new Shield in this universe. You know, right? But then this is curious because there's been speculation yeah. that the the next Spider-Man movie will also include other Spider Verses, if you will, Andrew Garfield right. and Tobey Maguire coming back. But having him involved in Sword or having the reference to Sword in that visual, when we now know that Sword deals with intergalactic threats, like how is the Spider-Man universe connected to that. What are these international threats? And so, I mean, once again, right. it has to point to Kang the Conqueror, but then it does. So, is he in charge of of was he the man's voice? Is he the one that set up Agatha to be whatever? That, you know, that could be a, another thing, right? And it's like there's all this, you know, like because you know, but you know, with with them, you never know. Is Kang gonna be the Ultimate baddie, like Thanos was a no-brainer. Thanos is Thanos. Of like, course, yeah. even if you're not a comic fan, once you see this guy, you go, "Oh yeah, this guy's a big deal." Like, you could tell. Kang is like a harder sell. Even if you're a comic fan, you know, "Oh yeah, this guy's serious." But as I said when we previously talked about Kang, who's his like friend that always works with him? Doctor Doom. Oh yeah. Okay. And I have a feeling with the speculation of. The Fantastic Four. Well, I mean, it's not even speculation. They've announced that, right? That isn't um, what's his name doing the Fantastic Four movie? Um, that did the Spider-Man films. I I didn't think that was official. I thought that was all um, speculation. Oh, maybe it's speculation too. I don't want to say that, but let's just say it's in the works. You know, Kevin. You know, Feige is like you know, like happier than a pig in shit because like <laughs> Deadpool is official. And like you know, and that's a, a billion dollar franchise with Ryan Reynolds, sure. who also ties into the whole multiverse thing. Yeah, like that's the explanation right there. Oh, how does he get into the Marvel universe? Oh, Scarlet Witch popped him in. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you know, <clears throat> and then you have Kang the Conqueror, who's going between times and universes and stuff. Oh, who's this guy? And they become friendly. Doctor Doom comes in, and then that's how you introduce Fantastic Four, mm -hmm. who have been battling Doctor Doom for years in their universe and now it's all one universe like there's there's ways to do it and you know the whole speculation of well how are they going to introduce like the x-men and, and mutant kind well you know with with pietro mm -hmm. with evan peter's version of quicksilver 
introduced in there. Okay, we see that it's Agatha Harkness that kind of put him in there, but why that ver like why randomly that version? It could have been any per it could have been any actor. And to play yeah, true. You know what I mean? But then even with that, episode seven had for the first time a mid credit sequence in which Monica Rambeau oh. had found the 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 cellar and then all of a sudden yeah, Pietro's there. Is it Pietro? It's certainly Evan Peters, and he just pops up, and then all of a sudden it cuts. So, yeah, cuts. what what is the deal? And also, I mean, the Doctor Doom thing now, Sokovia and Age of Ultron was a long time ago, but I believe in the comics when there's, you know, a disaster at Sokovia, there's a power struggle, and it's Doctor Doom who ultimately emerges as the one yep. who is sort of... So, so it, it could go into so many different directions, and... I don't know. Which is I'm, exciting to me. Yeah, I, I'm. Exciting. I'm excited for it, and I mean, there, there's one other uh, other branch or leg of of this topic that I do want to discuss, which is the one of. I'm not going to say it's the Scorsese content versus <laughs> you know film stuff because I I'm, I'll be honest, I haven't read a great deal about that, so I'm not prepared to comment on it. But I am prepared to comment on the discussion of. You seem to have two camps where it's sort of um, those who are saying, um, Disney is not the savior, but they're doing great because they're sure they're putting out their big budget stuff, but they're allowing weird, unique stuff to happen. And we need more stuff like this. And other people who are pushing back and saying like, no, Disney is still fucking evil and horrible because they are the ones that are globalizing everything that are making everything into content that is sort of, they are the evil embodiment of the content arguments Scorsese is making. And I find myself in the middle in the sense of, right. Not that they are a necessary evil but sure they kind of run everything now but also at the same time because of them and the opportunities they're giving to people i mean um chloe zhao directing the eternals and there's tweets that are yeah. circling around that like they're floored by what she's done with that or nia DaCosta doing captain marvel 2 or shang chi right. um and that movie like it's an asian character a superhero at the center of it so it's like they they run everything, but they're also giving opportunities to marginalized or voices that have been marginalized in not just mainstream film, but in in superhero films too. So like that's, I you take the good, you take the bad. I can't fully condemn or fully celebrate them because they're right. both exist at the same time. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the problem is yeah the corporate overlords and stuff. But to me, it's like. You know, sometimes some of the, you know, weird to say this, but sometimes the greatest artists were funded by maybe evil, evil people or maybe rich people that knew nothing about art, mm -hmm. but just said, here's, here's money, make art. Yeah. And then they made the art. And sometimes the big corporate person didn't like the art, but the art's been made. <laughs> yep. Tough shit. This is what's in the world. And, like, you know, something like that, it's hard to, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not like, oh, yeah, Disney Plus, yeah, thank you, Disney. No, Disney's, they're not good, they're not good, but <laughs> they're a business, yeah. and sadly, we live in a capital, you know, capitalism, a capitalistic state, and that's what, that's what it is. I'm sorry to say that, but, you know, these companies make stuff to make more money. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it out of the kindness of their hearts, <laughs> but... If we get something really cool and really like awesome and people that are awesome get to work and express themselves, how can we like shun that? You know, like like ultimately, how can we shun that part of it? I understand shunning the big part of it. 
but let's champion the stuff that like is enjoyable and like oh wow they're actually going because it's, it's the same thing in comic books where great writers and artists got fucked over mm-hmm. for years jack kirby was screwed for decades <laughs> and there's a reason for that because sadly <laughs> artists are always exploited yeah we know this it's mm-hmm. it's it's and it's sad so we have to be the ones who champion those artists to say, hey, check out this stuff. And when they might make something that's not part of the corporate overlords, work, you know, give them the money for that, too. You know? Well, and I, I just think of, I mean, Marvel movies aren't necessarily a guarantee that they're going to print money. But chances right. are people are going to see Marvel movies and with being rolled out in 3,000, 4,000 theaters. I mean, the pandemic is different well, yeah. now, but, you know, it, it 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 gives clout to some people. So just imagine Eternals makes a billion dollars. After yeah. that, and now Chloe Zhao is already kind of prestigious because Nomadland just seems to be sweeping oh, towards conversation. Francis um, McDormand, I've heard, is like, oh, yeah. uh, beyond everything. But let's say... Chloe Zhao or Nia DaCosta has a movie which has grossed worldwide 800, 900, a billion dollars. It's going to be much easier for them to get funding for their next projects. Yeah, there's smaller projects that before that would have, it would take them a decade to get yeah. maybe some funding. Yeah, that's that's the way I've always been with that. Like, you know, that's why I've always looked at like even someone like Scorsese that every so often he has to make a film that's a little more commercial. Yeah. To make something that's a little less commercial, like, and you know, like if you didn't make a film like Cape, you know, films like Cape Fear or Shutter Island, mm-hmm. you would have never be able to make films like Last Temptation of Christ, yeah, which he almost couldn't make because it was so controversial and yeah. and whatnot. So, like any filmmaker, if you look at especially the, like the the ones that have been working for consistently for decades, you see this like ebb and flow of like. One for them, one for me. One for them, one for me. One for them, one for me. And like, and 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 if they're a really good filmmaker, the one for them is also good. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe not as good compared to like their brilliant stuff. You go, oh, but that film is really fun. Good. Like you know, so I I kind of I hate that people look at it as black and white. Yeah. It's, it's all gray area. And, and, and I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. I mean, the, the live-action Aladdin remake grossed like a billion dollars, and the lead actor hasn't been able to, to book a film since. Which is insane to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, that's when I'm... But then again, is that because of, you know, of some race r- racial things? I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm it, it's kind of weird. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm sure that's a factor in... in you know, so like, so it doesn't necessarily, you know, guarantee that that these filmmakers are going to be able to make whatever they want. But it's also, yeah, I you, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I I live in Washington Heights. I'm a, a a twenty twenty five minute walk from the Cloisters, which is which was a a a former monastery that was brought over brick by brick and reassembled here. Is and it's this beautiful museum which is run by the Met. And who brought that over? John D. Rockefeller. Why? Because he was a fucking rich egomaniac, and that's what he wanted to do. Was yeah. it was it for was it for altruistic purposes? Probably not. But we can benefit from that, and we have benefited from that because of that evil capitalist guy was like, I have this whim, and I'm going to to act on it. And now we have the cloisters, and it's wonderful. So it's like, 
it, 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 it's, it, it's not all one way or all the other way. And so, sure, I'm uncomfortable with Disney kind of owning the world and the future of um, the entertainment landscape, but also fucking Chloe Zhao is making a superhero movie and yeah. DC trying to imitate that success. Ava DuVernay is making the new gods movie like these, like which people, is amazing. Yeah. yeah people like, are getting opportunities from this stuff. And, and that's, and that's the thing with like, you know, not to go too far into the DC stuff, but at least you could tell DC realized we can't be Marvel because Marvel has cultivated this whole, universe for so long and that you know before they made the avengers there were multiple films before that mm -hmm. they tried to rush it with justice league and like now like well like the last time we talked about the snyder cut i don't know whatever <laughs> i'm still like we said before i'm still gonna watch it i'm still gonna watch it yeah but you know you look at something like that but you have like look what happened like when the whole stu stupidity stu stupid shit that happened with james gunn with jokes he made 10 years before mm -hmm. and they fired him for that. So then DC was smart. They went, wait, this guy's really successful, made the two Guardians of the Galaxy films, characters that they thought would never make any money, mm -hmm. printed money, and they said, oh, make our next Suicide Squad film, which is supposedly getting really good like like notices, which I kind of thought. Mm -hmm. And and it and it's doing so well that they already are making a side TV series for HBO Max about the Peacekeeper character with John Cena, the wrestler, <laughs> which will tie into something else we're going to talk about today. Okay. And so, and then of course Marvel freaks out. Oh shit, we got to get James Gunn back. We're, we're sorry. And he's coming back to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, which is probably going to be the last one. Um, yeah, you like you have like that's what you're going to see more often. You're going to see. Like a lot of these directors going, well, okay, if you don't like me here, I'm gonna go over there and make it for this guy because they have tons of money too, right. and I'm gonna work on those characters because you know DC has a lot of great characters too that have not been used. Yet. Actually, um, they just announced the Blue Beetle movie, yes. which is gonna be the first like Spanish like Latino starring action film, like with, with like a superhero film, and I'm like, that's exciting stuff. No. Yeah, that's that's gonna be cool. Um, you know what I mean? That's I, awesome. And hopefully, there's no sign of uh, Jesus Joker in that movie. Well, well, okay. So yeah, what is with like Jared Leto's Joker in the the pictures being uh, more, to me more looking like uh, well, it just looks like Jared Leto on a bender. But he, he, also, it's it's kind of weird. It's like wait, so you're trying to harken back to like Heath Ledger Joker a little bit there. It I think that, they realized the whole affliction um that's axe that, body spray joker wasn't uh popular. That's a more generous reading than than what I had. I <laughs> I saw that as like cool. Um this reminds me of Marilyn Manson at a time when you do mm. not want to be hearkening back to Marilyn Manson for anything. Oh God, no. Um, no let's not let's not get into that one. Yeah, so uh, oops, oops. I, I I think Snyder just wants to be edgy and cool in a character, which uh, what what, what makes the, the it's not worth it's not worth talking about. You it's you not. you mentioned John Cena that segues into our next topic, which we yes. should probably get through because it's almost <laughs> half an hour and we haven't even touched on Annihilation yet. But John Cena. Um, if you pay attention to our Facebook page and based on the engagements, not many people do, but I, I sent a text to James last night because I was watching AEW and I'm, I'm, I'm 
a little bit into wrestling. James is more uh, is more so in my uh, my exposure to wrestling was mostly I watched as a kid growing up. Gave it up in high school because I thought it wasn't cool. Um, got back into it in college when I realized like what it actually, oh, it's theater. Okay, cool. I get that. Right. And then fell out of it long, long time. But I had a friend who was still into it. Um, a mutual friend that James and I have that I, I'd go and watch pay-per-views at his, at his place, you know, once in a while. And then seeing the AEW ads and him telling me how exciting it was. And then saw yeah. when they picked up Sting, I was like, maybe this is something I should actually get into. So I've been slowly getting back into it. That's a long way of getting to this, mm-hmm. um, point in which i texted james last night and said who would you rather fight cthulhu or haku and james said haku which i expected because there are some stories around haku as being a legitimately dangerous human being (laughs) and james said haku tore a guy's face off one time um (laughs) so there's many stories and like you know and that he's actually himself has come forward to either deny or say that was partially true. Mm-hmm. Um, real name, Tonga Fifita, mm-hmm. a Tongan man. You know, a lot of people always say he's Samoan. No, he's just really friendly with all the Samoans because Samoans are also, all of them are fucking tough guys. Mm-hmm. The reason why I said that to you is because there's been stories that like one time in like, at a, I think it was at a, a bar or something, they some guys said, hey, you fake, like, piece of shit. Wrestling's fake. And this is in the 80s when you don't say that to a wrestler. Because <laughs> wrestling's not fake. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, there was three guys, and he knocked them all out with the Tongan death grip, which is a, like, legit move where he basically, he grabs, basically grabs your larynx mm-hmm. and just squeezes it so hard that you pass out. You just you have no air. You you drop down, and one of the guys he uh, bit the nose off of him <laughs> and spit it back out. <laughs> so of course they. <laughs> what do you do if one of your friends just got his nose bitten off? You don't stay to fight. You run <laughs> off. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, another time, there was in Puerto Rico in eighty. I think it was eighty seven. Is wrestler Jesse Barr? They were they were like friendly and they would travel together but they were walking around in in puerto rico and they were ditch diggers there working and this wrestler decided to start kicking dirt on them (laughs) and haku looked at that as very fucking disrespectful Mm -hmm. and the story goes that he grabbed this guy jesse grabbed him close and popped his eyeball out oh my god so no so he, they, you know, there's been like things called shoot interviews where they talk to the wrestlers years later and, hey, you know, this time, is this true? Well, what do you think about this guy? So they asked him about that and he said, uh, it's partially true. They, what do you mean partially true? He's like, well, it's true that he kicked dirt on these ditch diggers and I, that I grabbed him and I held him and I took my finger and I pushed it to his skull and told him I was about to pop his eyeball out. Of course, he's freaking out, but he can't get out of my hold. <laughs> and he said, I thought of him as one, you know, ultimately he was a friend of mine, which made me laugh so hard. Like, oh, a friend of mine, but I was going to pop his eyeball out. <laughs> and two, that he had a family and kids. And if I did that, he would ruin his life. So I just held him until he finally like, gave up and then I let him go. And yeah, he never kicked dirt on ditch diggers again. <laughs> And, like, you know, that's, like, telling to you, too, that 
this guy is all about like respect and about like you know on you know don't belittle people that you think are lower than you mm-hmm. they're not lower than you they're working hard you know and and there's been other stories where he one time in the airport i guess he was a little drunk and seven cops tried to stop him and he fought them all off <laughs> seven police officers he fought them all off it's crazy and like when you hear other tough wrestlers talk about this guy yeah like you know you have like people like you know rick steiner one of the steiner brothers mm-hmm. talk about yeah you know people used to say i was tough you gotta work well you gotta watch out for haku because haku you best with him you're gone yeah and and what's great is that one of his sons is actually working for new japan wrestling mm-hmm. as a tag team wrestler and every so often he still at least before the pandemic, he was still up here. And Haku is much older now. Yeah. He could still beat the shit out of you. Like, you look <laughs> at him, you go, this guy's still a tough guy. He's just very, but, and what's great when he talks, the most soft spoken man, eloquent, but it's why he's known as the most feared man behind wrestling. Yeah. Haku. When I was, when I was going back into the office a couple months back and there was no there was wasn't a ton of work to do i just would fall down youtube <laughs> rabbit holes oh, and, the best you know there's a lot of good like channels out there for wrestling stuff like wrestlemania is good um behind the titan tron i think is another one um what culture wrestling also has good stuff so, yeah so there was, it was just one of those videos of like the you know the top 10 wrestlers that like other wrestlers were afraid of and i think haku was number one and it was just those and especially like also in ring performances they were nervous about like screwing something up or yeah. or being too stiff because then haku would in the ring also physically make people suffer but but you could tell who the tough guys were by one how tough they were in the ring but also the respect a lot of people would give them outside the ring like oh this guy really good guy but you got to watch out for him. If you screw him, you'll not, you know, you, you'll wish you were dead. Yeah. But uh, so that's, that's where the Cthulhu uh, versus Haku camera conversation came from. Um, so I'd rather, I'd actually rather fight Cthulhu because at least I know I won't get my face ripped off. No, you're, you're, it's going to be pretty instantaneous death or you're just going to go mad and then who cares what pain is anyway. But, um, (laughs) but um, speaking of Cthulhu and weird pairings, uh, I added this uh, late. And so we will get to annihilation soon. I promise. But, um, Spike Lee is producing a Cthulhu movie for Netflix. Um, I will I will put this the link to this Pace Magazine article in the show notes, and I put it on the Facebook yeah. page as well. But he is producing um, a film called Gordon Hemingway and the Realm of Cthulhu, uh, is what people believe. It's going to be uh, directed by Stephen Bristol, who uh, he made his debut feature in 2019, See You Yesterday, which I did not see, but also Spike Lee produced. Mm. Um, um, and it seems like it's going to be maybe deal with the the systemic racism and that kind of horror because it takes place in like 1928 but also maybe actual monster monster horror because the movie follows a roguish black american gunslinger in 1928 who teams up with the elite warrior princess Zenebe of Ethiopia to rescue their kidnapped region from an ancient evil so cool man <laughs> I mean, yeah i mean it's something you would think spike lee would be involved with but that's awesome yeah um so I mean, yeah I'm for that that, that's that's really all we kind of know, but I saw it last minute and thought that we should in, include it. But so uh, stay tuned for details on that because that sounds awesome. And I guess, I mean, uh, I, I kind of hate saying that. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. But uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus was, I think, a vampire flick. Yes. That, that So, you know, so horror, yeah. Spike Lee is not averse to it. So, yeah, let's see. And the horror of war with, you know, like, yeah. like you know, like, like he, he I, I kind of love that. And, you know, you have Inside Man. He's 
he's kind of like going like, let, let me let me make some or help make some fun, like not fun, but you know what I mean? Like more genre driven movies. Yeah. Um, And uh, I mean, let's see which one comes out first, because I'd much rather watch this than the whatever Lovecraft movie that Benioff and Weiss are uh, are working on for whatever yeah. the fuck. Um, <laughs> oh, that was also that was also one of my favorite memes that was circulating around Twitter after it was like, you know, it was Agatha all along and she kind of had like the the smearing one. Like there was one where it was her saying, like, I wrote season eight of Game of Thrones, too. And then she had a little smirk like, no, that would have no, you, you yeah, you <laughs> killed the dog and you make Game of Thrones season eight. <laughs> yep. You're the one that decided uh, Dexter was a lumberjack, didn't you? <laughs> Damn you. That's oh, really good. man. She's going to be the special guest referee in the exploding barbed wire death match. I think. Right. You be? both lose. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, Annihilation is the movie we are talking about. Um, and yeah, as I said, watching it for this episode was my third time watching this. I texted James. Each time I've watched this movie, it's gotten better and better. Um, it just barely missed out on my top 10 in 2018. But in retrospect, looking back, I think it would probably it would push out probably the favorite um, and make my top 10. Um, I Well, technically my top 10 was Hereditary and then the favorite. Hereditary, I'm sticking on there, but I think I'm getting rid of the favorite in retrospect and putting Annihilation in there. Okay. Um, but I, I, I love this movie a lot, and it's it's not an easy sci-fi film to categorize. It, it I mean, just in, oh, in, yeah. its, in its history, Paramount barely promoted it. Um, they showed it to press only days before its release, and they sold the international rights to Netflix because they didn't know what to do with it. So it was kind of dumped in theaters in, in late February, not a whole lot of promotion, and I mean, it, it makes sense because it's a how how do you define what kind of film this is? Because it's not it's it's bleak, but it's also not like in certain ways. And, and I mean, yes. even but it's even a film that from the very beginning, when you hear uh, Lena's lecture on like cell duplication or assimilation, which I'm sure is not the proper word, but like it kind of clues you into like what's going to happen to these characters. Like, hey, this yes. is this is foreshadowing. Um, things are not going to work out well, and they don't, except maybe they do. I don't know, I, but as someone who's watched it for the first time, I'm curious as to what your your first impressions were and your takeaways. Well, I mean, like I told you before we started recording, I, I, I'm pissed at myself for waiting this long to watch it because <laughs> it's. I think it's a phenomenal, not just sci-fi film, but I think it's a phenomenal film. Like, and I, I really think the way to to categorize it is it's an Alex Garland film. Yeah. Because, like, you look at Alex Garland, the films he writes, the films he directs, they all have this, like, this sci-fi bent, depending on how hard sci-fi or even, like, horror sci-fi he does. And there's this weird combination of, like, despair, but also hope, even within the despair. And, like, this film, like, deals with, you know, loss and, you know, like, what if you could find like the love of your life comes back into your life after a year away. And, but is he, is he, is he the person you remember? Mm -hmm. Is he actually the person that you love or did something happen between, you know, since he's been gone, like in this thing called the shimmer and like, yeah, it, I mean, I can understand a big company like Paramount, they look at this film and go, Oh shit, what did we sign on to? But, <laughs> but that, that was the book, <clears throat> you know, like, and, and my story with the book was, before the pandemic, like maybe it was like December or, or January, I took out the book from the library. And I was going to read it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was like, I'm going to read a book for once. You know, I haven't, <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to read books because of work and stuff. But, and I read about like a quarter of it and I was really 
excuse me, I was really into it. I was like, this is, I really like this. And for some reason, then, like, I was going to keep it longer, and then I had to bring it back because um, someone else, you know, wanted it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, shit, okay, I'm going to have to bring it back. So I brought it back, and then, of course, then a month later, then the pandemic happened, and I was like, oh, libraries are closed, and <laughs> sure. I can't, you know. And so I never said, oh, let me just order the, the three books. So after watching this film, I really want to read all three books now. I want to see where the story goes because the way it ends – yeah, I could see a sequel, but I could also – I don't need a sequel. And that's kind of like – to me, when you're making like a really good like film, mm-hmm. even if it's based on a trilogy of books or whatever, make it standalone. But give that hint of us – like you, you could go on with the story, but you don't have to. This can end and, you know, like like, you know, something even like – even though it was based on books, but like The Matrix. Mm-hmm. If The Matrix was just one film – it wouldn't matter. You'd be like, oh. And in some ways, I kind of wish it was just one film. Sure. But that's a whole other point. But, <clears throat> you know, like this is a film that, you know, when I read it and the way it was adapted, it's like, oh, wow. OK, so he, he, you know, Garland is very good at that stuff of this high concept sci-fi. But also. Ultimately, you know, is, you know. To me, like, this film, like, yeah, I could see people thinking, oh, it's boring. Oh, it's slow. <laughs> oh, it's this. And to me, it's like, no. It's building on these characters, building on, like, this world. And you're kind of thrown into it, too. And I kind of love that. It's not like we, we just see this meteor hit this lighthouse. Again, another lighthouse within <laughs> a Lovecraftian story, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um and you don't know anything about this, and you never do. You never know where this yep. meteor comes from. You never know why this came here. And right from that point, I'm intrigued. I'm like, okay, where is this going? And then we cut to her talking about this after the fact with, uh, with you know, um, um, what's the actor's name? Wong from Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's funny. This movie is very much like a lot of Marvel characters are in this movie like actors <laughs> yeah. Tessa Thompson Valkyrie you have Wong you have the next Thor technically with Natalie Portman well and and um Oscar, and you have Oscar, Oscar Isaac Moon Knight mm-hmm. and I kind of love that like when we get the flashbacks of like their relationship it's not you're not hit over the head with the usual I love you so much you're the love of my life oh it's I don't know I, I took it as like it's, it was weirdly enough to me, it was kind of like one of the most realistic in a film like this, one of the most realistic like relationships of two people that love each other, but their their careers have gone a different path. Right. And and like when they're together, they're like this. They're totally in love, but he's always holding something back from her because of what his job is still to this day. Yeah, there there does. It does a good job of, of like there's definitely a rapport between them but there's also you do get the sense of not that they don't understand each other but they're emotionally they're they're kind of moving apart a little bit because of how their Mm -hmm. jobs are taking are literally and and figuratively taking them away from each other yeah um and and yeah especially the the big mystery is not just you know well the big mystery is what happened to my husband because she has no idea where he went or what he came to do and so when he comes back and basically his answers are to everything. I don't know. I don't, I I can't remember. 
it just increases that as an audience tension of what happened to them and um why is she in this medical tent being questioned by all these people and so as these pieces kind of unfold that you learn a little bit more and more and then when it when they eventually find that that video recording of oscar isaac and his crew and just like oh what the fuck is going on yeah, it, it goes full event horizon it, it really does um right I, I was shocked like like you know again we're talking about a slow burn character development and then you know i i don't I don't know if I necessarily want to say what happens in the video, but maybe we will. But, like, when you see that video, you're like, okay, this took a left turn. Like, this actually – no, you know what I mean? Because, like, oh, my God, this is – oh, okay, I didn't expect to see that. Well, and and actually, now now that I think about it, I'm I'm going to push back against the Event Horizon thing because I think in Event Horizon it is unequivocally what happened to these people was – Right. It was evil, it was hell, it was whatever. They they unleashed something which was unequivocally or 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 undeniably bad evil, whatever. Right, it's bad. It's bad. Yes. This I, I think yeah. what's what's interesting about this film and which I what I was reminded of when I watched it again was how it is what is happening to the environment, the literal physical landscape and to the people depending yeah. on your perspective. And I don't mm-hmm. mean you as an individual, but whoever but whatever standpoint, well, I guess no, as as an individual, but also just depending on your philosophy on the world, really, it's either beautiful what's happening or it's horrible. Um, and, I, and I'm glad you, you said that in the show notes because when I was watching the film and when I actually said, I you know, sometimes when a film really hits me, I tell Corinne we have to watch this at, together because, <laughs> like, and I said to her, I'm like, this film is equally beautiful and horrific. Yes. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't want to say anything, but there's stuff in it that if you look at it from one perspective, you're like, oh my God, it's so bad. Like, like look what happens to that person. But then you look at it another way, like it's so beautiful and like this majestic and like, which tells you that this alien force isn't malevolent. It's, it's trying to understand what we are. Mm-hmm. And it's also trying to add to us what what its own, you know, its own like, you know, chemical and whatever balance of stuff. And like it's transforming us into stuff that we can never even fathom. Right. And, and it's because this thing, whatever it is, this life yeah. form, this entity, like it, that's the thing. It's it's not doing anything like morality is 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 not even a question it's doing what it needs to do to yeah. progress to survive to evolve to adapt and yeah. what you know what that involves is literally changing the dna the cells of the natural environment of plants of animals even as we eventually see of people and we see that as horrible because we are people right but right from this perspective of you know if you think of dr ian malcolm like life finds a way and yes. and just nature evolving, life moving on, like it's at at worst it's neutral, at best it's beautiful and speaks to life adapting, overcoming, of becoming something new, of reinventing itself. And even within the visuals that when we see the video of the soldier and then we see what the soldier has become in that pool. Oh my- which God, I, yeah. Which what what did I write? He looks like he's become an, an organic heavy metal album cover. Yeah, that's um, the best description I've ever heard. Like it's the the skull has like separated 
and the body has like yeah. yeah blossomed and stretched out but then there's like there's things growing from it there's flowers there's life it's sort of like this is horrible but also this is if you painted this this would be a, a piece of art yes. right it's like it's like almost a beautiful mural that yeah. this this person that has died has become mm -hmm. and like what's what's really telling is like which is like you know it's like you mentioned the thing with um the one character uh that was the uh what Danny Rodriguez's character? Yeah, um, uh, Joe uh, Anya is is, is Anya, yeah. Anya. Yeah, I always forget. I don't know why I think I can't remember her name, Anya. But you know, she looks at the video and like is horrified, but it's like, oh, it's fake. It, it's just a, a, mm. a, 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 it's the the camera. What? And I'm thinking to myself, how do you say that? Like, like, yeah, you've seen some horrible shit, so you should know the difference between something that looks weird and like something that actually is like like intestines moving. <laughs> This person is changing. This person cannot stop what he's become. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy about that scene, you know, we'll go, you know, we'll go into like Oscar Isaac's character is looking and like he's almost like gleeful about it. He's he's certainly right? not horrified. He's more just no. kind of like like there's there's look almost this. objectivity. Yeah, like look at what's and happening. Cutting, mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's cutting him open, and the guy is like, please stop, please, but not trying. And then he's just holding him down, mm -hmm. and they're like, okay. But like you said, he's not horrified by it because maybe because he's also has, you know, he's already realized he's changing and he's just like, OK, mm -hmm. we're all going to be like this. So, the, of course, the idea is that they all went mad. Mm -hmm. They all went mad and killed each other. No, they, no. they're all becoming one. They're yeah. all becoming something new. Yes. And like, you know, some people become these beautiful flowery, you know, vestiges yeah. Some become this, like you said, this organic heavy metal cover, which <laughs> I still like. I'm like amazed by how beautiful that looks. Like that, like the set design and stuff in this, and the special effects are like amazing in this film. Like I don't know why, like they Paramount just kind of went, eh, we don't know what to do with this film. It's like just, just I don't know. I think if this film came out now or like you know late, like a couple, maybe a year or two later, they would have. He said Lovecraftian annihilation. Like they would have used the word Lovecraftian more, and it probably got him more press. Well, also in the wake of um, uh, Benson and Moorhead becoming more popular and more revered as well, I mean, kind of tailing off, off that, or, or or even writing their coattails of like in the vein of of Benson and Moorhead comes right. annihilation or something. And yeah, I mean, I, I get the, it's it's a lot more esoteric and existential than like a summer movie release. So you don't want to dump it in the middle of like, Hey, we can go see Captain America or we can go see annihilation. annihilation. You know, th those don't really mesh. But if you put this out November, you know, December when, when the movies are starting to get a bit more somber and a bit more serious because award season is coming up and not mm -hmm. saying annihilation would have been a shoe in for best picture, but just when, when audiences are more, inclined to take in something which is going to be a bit more meditative instead of just like you know we'll fucking put this out in february where no one's going to the movies anyway because who would want to see something like this which is yeah pretty heavy whether you whether you can yes. interpret it as beautiful or tragic or both it's still a heavy movie um and yeah because even of you know we've, we've discussed a bit of the beauty but even the horrifying you know from from the standpoint that whatever happens is is unstoppable as soon as that meteor hits it's it's not gonna stop no it, and 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 then even lena uh reveals basically as soon as they walked into the shimmer 
they're still sort of changing. It was an it was an unstoppable, irrevocable process that they were going through, and that idea of you can either fight it or you can give into it, and how right. how even physically the nature of the people change ba- like based on that. Like um, um, Tessa Thompson's character, yes. um, Josie, she gives oh. in because she even says that she's like you know what is it like um she wants to go forward you want violence i just i don't want any of those i don't want either of those things and she just starts walking and you see these flowers Mm -hmm. growing out of her she's given in but she's okay with it yeah because and it's what's great it's like her arms you see are changing which are where all the you know the cuts she's made over the years that's right yeah and and it's like a really like beautiful like like again some people look at it like, oh, that's terrible. She's dying. But then you look at it like, no, like, she's okay with it. She's okay with the change. She's okay with evolving. And it's because one of the reactions to saying this is horrible or what's happening to these people are scary is also roped into what we as people hold up as what makes us so significant and important, which is consciousness, which is this like, like a a conscious idea of, of who we are and what our identity is as an individual, whether it be an individual person or an individual species. And what this shimmer, this force this whatever thing it does is it basically by combining a bunch of DNA, by kind of taking everything in sort of makes it this organic collective. And basically your sense of identity on a personal and on an existential level becomes less significant or less relevant like you're not Mm. you're not people anymore you are this plant you are this animal you are part of this thing and so like as a person who's like oh my god no i'm i'm a writer and i'm a director or i'm an artist and sort of like i have this individuality it's like well no you are part of just this much bigger wave which is crashing over everything that's a scary concept of that idea of just like i no I, i am kind of existentially insignificant and it is this force which is just I, i'm caught up in it's that's a scary thought yeah i mean ultimately you know the older i get and you know i've i've, I've told you know told you before with you know uh corinne working in the funeral business um we're just flesh we're sacks <laughs> of flesh that's all we are ultimately yep so like if we could if we if we could transform into something so beautiful and live on like that, why is that worse than just living to a, like, you know, 98 years old suffering and then just drop, you know what I mean? So that's why, again, it goes into the whole idea of, is it beautiful? Is it horrific? Or is it a little bit of both? And that's kind of what life is. Yeah. Like it's, and it's kind of what this being or this group of beings or whatever they are, are doing. It's, they're like, almost like not that having fun, but they're like wondering like, okay, this is what they are. And then we see them later on replicating what we are. Mm -hmm. And to an, uh, to what, what means we don't know, but, and this, there's a little haunting line later on. But again, like you said earlier, and I keep thinking of different things in this movie. Um, when Oscar Isaac comes back and you said, he says, I don't know. I don't know. And he says little things, but I don't know. And what's telling is that throughout the, the conversation that Portman's having, Lena's having, she keeps saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But she's a little more articulate. But certain people, she knows when they died. 
Like, this person said, so you know, and like, I'm trying to remember now, like, because, like, thinking back, like, she says who has died and who she's not sure about. Mm-hmm. Was Tessa one of the ones? Josie one of the ones she wasn't sure about? Because that wouldn't actually make sense, because she doesn't see her change. She just sees the initial change, and then she just sees a bunch of people that have changed. Well, and I, I, I don't remember, but also if she is indeed and. In- I mean, listen, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen Annihilation by this point, I'm sorry Watch I'm spoiling it. it for you. She herself is no longer Lena, but a right. a hybrid, a, a form, and, and basically this life force imitating who or what Lena was. So once again, getting rid of your identity, are you Lena yes. or not kind of a thing. But then in her or its viewpoint, what happened to Tessa Thompson or to Josie would not be dying. That's right. No, that's, that's actually, and that's why it's actually... It, when you look at back and and again, like you said, you watched it three times. This is a film that it it, it lives to rewatch. Like it's mm-hmm. it's one of those films you go, no, you got to keep watching this film, and you'll see new things and you'll see the connections between the characters. And like you know, because initially it is linear. It you know, like in a sense, like okay, beginning, middle, end of the story. But then, oh wait, now that makes more sense with what she says here because. Was she really that? No. And then, you know, when like when we see the reveal that Oscar Isaac actually was talking to himself <laughs> yeah. and basically burns himself alive with, with a flash grenade. Yeah. And he doesn't scream. He doesn't like he just accepts it. Again, it's acceptance of, of dying, which is weird because it's like he's killing himself, but also just letting go. Right. Like, which is like weird and dark to think about that. And then, so when, of course, Lena is telling the story to them, she's telling the story of, I think as what Lena would tell them mm-hmm. like that. Oh yeah. I, I stopped the other thing, but it was, it was the same way that Oscar Isaac died with a flash grenade. Yeah. Um... Which kind of tells you something that, it wasn't like, you know, so her recalling what happened with the replication and, and copying and like just this weird like ballet of like movements between the two. Like she starts off violent towards her, but then decides that, wait, I can't be, you know, if I'm violent towards her, I keep getting hurt myself. Mm. If I accept it, I'm OK with it. And then there's a point probably when they really actually switch places. It's like, no, then. Lena actually took the flash grenade and just accepted her faith. Well, and and even because it seems like the, the the depiction would certainly make it seem like she set off the phosphorus grenade, the whole lighthouse kind of burns down and Lena walks out, except yes. if we are hearing the story from the point of this thing pretending to be Lena, then of course that is the story it is going to tell. Right. Um, that, yes, Lena survived, this thing did not, when really the thing did and Lena did not survive. Um, and also, ultimately, it knows it has to meet up with its quote-unquote mate. And that's why, like, I wrote a note in here, which, like, we're all fucked at the end. And then I thought about <laughs> it, like, but are we? Because, once are again, we, yeah. Annihilation, the name, or, or the, the the concept of it, only only really holds up if you hold on to a certain perspective of, yes, this is what makes people and they they are they are going to be annihilated sure but a form of life is going to continue and and right. they're sort of like we see in the animal kingdom that huge fucking crocodile thing those 
antlered things that we see later on like they've they're living they're adapting they're living within their new surroundings yeah, as their new okay. forms they're just going on whereas the people are sort of like no this is a thing we have to stop and it's right. not it's not adapting it is it's actually the exact opposite of it which you know these this comes into a, then a philosophical difference of well but, yeah you know but it's but, but isn't that telling though like like we as humans we look at evolution and we think it's impressive when animals evolve to like be become better predators become better whatever right. yeah but when, we, when it's something to make us evolve like nope like no, we don't want that not doing this stop it mm-hmm. don't nope. do it, it it's tell <laughs> and that's actually like you said it's a very philosophical thing why is it any different like why wouldn't it be better if we evolved into something more higher yeah which, which in a way, then I was thinking like it's. I wrote that this is this is like more annihilation is more the color out of space than maybe yes. any of the color out of space adaptation we've seen. Even Stanley's probably even Juan Vu's like yeah. because it, it has these forces of like here's this thing, it's going to overtake you. You don't have any way of stopping it. It's just going to go on. And but but I think in in Lovecraft it's it's more well that's horrible. And in this like. Yes, but also, but is it though? But it could be beautiful. Yeah, it could be. It could be a good thing. Or we'll see. And and and, and I think it's that's existentially that's what I find the most scary is by removing the morality from it and just thinking like this is how it's going to be. It is neutral. That's the scary thing. That's what makes Cthulhu scary. Is not that Cthulhu is yes. evil and wants to wipe out mankind. Like Cthulhu doesn't give a shit what happens to mankind. No, it's just gonna keep going. Yeah, if um, we were here or not, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. This ties into weird enough the uh, our I think our favorite scene in this movie, where someone's essence is in something else, and <laughs> one of the most horrifying scenes. So good. Okay, for me to say this, for me to say, it's one of the most like horrifying scenes I've seen in a movie in a while. Like where I was just like actually watching it on my couch and going, okay, um, that's unnerving. What am I watching? And then it gets worse. Because <laughs> it gets, it continues, and you're like, oh. But I'll let you take this because yeah, the the yeah. scene with the bear, which Ugh, because God. of the shimmer has whatever verb you want to call it, absorbed some of the essence of Cass, Ugh. but only the essence of Cass, which allows it to survive because of mimicking its voice, the scream of "Help me," allows it to get inside the house where it can then feed on the soldiers specifically Anya and just as they're sitting there all tied to a chair or all tied to chairs unable to move when this bear which is mostly skeleton but also still big is roaring and intermingled within that roar are the screams of help and me over and over again it's like this is the horrifying aspect of this yes once again, you interpret this scene as danger, bad, evil, except it's n- it's not evil because... It's an animal. Yes. It's an animal. It's trying to survive itself. It's trying to feed. It's trying to... Like, it sees these people as threats. Rightfully so. They have guns. They, they It's probably... It, who knows? That bear probably saw them kill that alligator earlier. It's it's just what, what makes it scary is just... Oh, it's fucking... God. It's nature, man. Like, that's... That's what it does. It sounds like, and but again, it's horrifying, but it's also beautiful because the way the the way the sound is, it's like like whoever did the sound design for it, especially that, it should be given like jobs for the rest of their life because 
it's like almost it's almost musical. It's like the help me and it's like this continuous loop and but it's always sounding different depending on how much this bear is bellowing. And it's like it, it's a great defense mechanism. Like like imagine like it's funny enough it, it reminds me of like the predator. Like the predator would use people screaming or something like like anytime help me like this and you use that to fight people you know not, not even just that but like if we look here on this planet as it currently is if you go down to the depth of the ocean and you have oh, angler God, fish yeah. which is just like it dangles this little light that attracts these little prey and like oh and i want to come in and then it eats them and like oh. this this happens right. and we watch that and we think like oh it's it's interesting to me even just watching nature programming where it's like well that lion or that tiger or that bear oh my is, oh my <laughs> is, is clearly the bad one in this in this situation because it ate the little baby or it ate that one which was a much cuter animal except like it's not bad or good it just is it just is and like again we look at as we look at that that car you know that bear is the villain and that scene because we as people look at these people as our own our collective like we want them to survive because you know again because they all seem like good enough people even jennifer jason lee's um was what vanit or uh, ventress i believe ventress even though like she has her own ultimate you know ultimate motive as to why she wants to go into the shimmer and find out what this thing is um so we we, we look at them we don't look at the bear as one of us sadly you know what i mean but like you said, it's nature. It's like if it was just a normal bear doing this, it'd be the same thing. It's just it just looks scarier. Yeah, it's this. You know, this the shimmer has allowed this thing to adapt to survive, and this thing is also enabling these people to adapt to survive. But by changing them into something which aren't people anymore, and yeah, we find that horrifying. The shimmer just finds it. That's how I'm. I'm going to propagate myself. That's how I'm going to proceed. And yeah. I, I, I think I'd be remiss if I, I took a bunch of notes on the the look of the film because yes. I love the way that I love the way that Rob Hardy shot this film. Rob Hardy also shot Ex Machina, which is beautiful, and then went on to shoot um, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is fucking great. Insanity, yeah, uh, um, yeah. But um, he I'll, and I'll, I'll link to this article too. But it, it's an interview they, that the American Society of Cinematographers magazine did with him. And says Hardy was living in Los Angeles during prep for Annihilation and visited San Mar San Marino's Huntington Botanical Gardens with a still camera. I was taking photographs of strange plants from an architectural point of view, looking for inorganic patterns and shapes. He explains, "I was trying to find odd images that nature provides." And they ultimately ended up filming in in Windsor Great Park in the UK, which is um, where the royal family does you know did all their hunting. And you know it's it's it, like I said, a few miles outside of. Um, where they were uh, filming in uh, in UK Star Wars and stuff, but the way that he shoots nature, he shoots it in such a way where like nature seems surreal, and I I, I noticed yes. this too. Like almost every shot inside the Shimmer contains a rainbow, and I don't mean like you know the the quintessential kind of yeah. little arc in the background, but like if you look in the ripples in the water or up in the yes. sky, you see a color a color spectrum, something that's rainbow that's just kind of there. But even every shot. I'm convinced every single shot has well, not every shot because there's the nighttime scenes and there's the scenes inside that inside the house. But every shot inside the shimmer that's not at night, I'm convinced is like has the range of a color palette within it from I, like 
I think you're right. Yeah, like I think I think it's 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 meant to be like that. Like you said, it's to show you like where you are. You're you are in the shiver. You're you're in this this place now, and it's like you said again. It's both beautiful and horrifying. It's like it's it's like mesmerizing to the and point it, where it's like you want to stay there. And it, it's nature, but not in a way that we're used to or that we see it, which puts yes. you in their mindset of like. Because even that first day, they they wake up in their tents and they're like. A bunch of the food has been gone. It seems like we've been here for days, but how long have we been here? Right. Um, and I was and again, she asks. She asks um, Oscar Isaac that. How long were you there? He's. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it could have been months. It could have been like I don't even know. And that's horrifying. Imagine like you don't even know how long you've been somewhere. It, it's. I mean, just your your once again like time and our perception of time is tied into our existence. Like how old are we? You know what what stage of life right. are we getting into? And just even fucking with that, it, it, it screws you up on, on a certain internal existential level. And I was reminded, because of, um, I, I believe, the, the shots inside the Shimmer, um, Rob Hardy was shooting on a, a 6K red camera. Um, mm. And the way that he makes the colors pop, specifically kind of like the oranges, the pinks, and, and the purples, I was reminded of yes. Juan Vu's Color Out of Space from, way, mm-hmm. from, you know, from months ago, in which he said he purposely made the color a purple, because purple is the rarest color found in nature. Yes. And it's the most powerful visible wavelength of electromagnetic energy. And, and it's also something which is, you know, when we subconsciously think of the color out of space, I think we think of the, the purple, and I think Stanley does too, because that was very prevalent yes. in the color out of space as well. And just this idea of we are used to this, or, or this should be something we're used to, but there's something that's different and off about it. Yeah, like, again, it's again, it's, it's a showcase that's very alien and something that we can't fathom. We can't we can't understand it so of course we can't understand it so it must be it must be evil it must be trying to like kill us or you know like it must be altering people to kill each other or some you know like the scientists you know and the government thinks that but it's like lena but as we said it's not lena is almost like is almost conversating to them to say no we're not like we're not here to do that we're just evolving like, you know, she even says that, like, oh, we're, it's, no, like, you know, when saying, oh, but it was, it was trying to attack you, it was trying to kill you. No, it wasn't. I, I attacked it, so it attacked me back. But it's, like, almost like her trying to say as this being, like, no, like, we're not trying to kill you. We just want to make you better. Well, or we just, I mean, where did that meteor come from? Who's to say that that life force wanted to be on this planet to begin with? But it's doing, Good point. What, it's doing what it's doing to to survive, which is what any of us would do. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, and again, you, you know, I look back at like the thing mm-hmm. and how you look at the thing as evil. It's trying to kill us, but is it evil? It's, it's, go, it's doing what it does. Like it's, 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 it's evolved beyond what we are. Mm-hmm. And that's how it creates. It becomes, it replicates and keeps growing and growing and growing it's very similar to the same idea of like this thing that could spread mm-hmm. and take over. It's just a thing more or less. It's like, it looks horrific the whole time. Like it's always like, Oh my God, what the hell is that thing? Well, this movie takes that, like almost that concept and like gives you more of the beauty part of it and gives you more of this, like, again, this, this rainbow sheen to it that like, like you, even if you're changing and like, you might not like what you become, you're, you, you're mesmerized by this beauty and you're like, you know what? I guess I'm just going to accept it. And some people don't. Mm-hmm. 
And 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 the more I think about it, you know, because now we know Isaac is not really who he is. Mm-hmm. But remember, he goes to see her, and then he starts dying. Yeah. Because he's not in the Shimmer anymore. Mm-hmm. He's away from what keeps him alive. So he starts to die. So they bring him, and of course, they, they keep him alive with whatever means. And remember, he's as human as he can be. Mm-hmm. So then, remember, when Lena, or whatever we see, what she is... Everything burns down, and they say everything in the shimmer is gone. It's died. It's it's become not, it's become ash. This particular individual journey is done, so the movie is done, and that's great. But that yeah, then there are the implications and the questions. Like hey, if there's a sequel, I'm not going to be mad about it. But also the the I'm I'm also pleased with where this leads off, or where it ends, and where and what what implications that leaves me with. Like, I'm satisfied with that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. no, it, yeah, this, I, more, more, I wish more people would have seen this movie. I mean, I, I know it, it is, it is now kind of looked at as, as sort of an overlooked gem from that year and just right. how, how badly Paramount bungled it. I hate when people say this. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm partially to blame because I didn't go to see this. We never get original stories. <laughs> or like in original adaptations of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's always sequels, it's always reboots. But what does the best? Sequels and reboots or nostalgia things where let's return to a world. And I love all that stuff. But, you know, again, like I said, I'm partially to blame. I didn't go see this. Not that my $10, $15 would have helped it. But what if another 100,000 people like me would have done that? Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much uh, to say. I mean, yeah, this. I'm. I'm glad that you've finally seen it and have been a indoctrinated. In this is a, a fantastic movie, and yeah, I think. I, I don't know. This may be sacrilegious, but if you're gonna make have me make a list of the the best Colorado space adaptations, this may be number one, even though it's got nothing to do with the Colorado space. Um, I mean, I I'm gonna watch it like one or two more times, but I think it it might rival that. It might be up there because. It has that essence of the color out of space, of the concept, of this thing that's spreading, and you can't stop it. But it doesn't – to me, actually, it does it more in an epic fashion of this thing. Even though, even though color out of space has that idea, it's in a very small group of people. Even though this is too, but we've seen it happen to multiple groups of people, you know what I mean? It's something about it where it's like this seems much more dire. Color out of space, even though it ends, you go, "Oh shit, it's gonna be bad." It seems like it's gonna take longer for it to happen. Yeah, the yeah the the color out of space. I mean, all the versions, Juan Vu, Juan Vu, Juan Vu's version, Stanley's version, even um, Will Wheaton's version. <laughs> Will Wheaton's version. All all do sort of um, keep it sort of localized, like. I mean, it, right. it's, it's a, spe- a small farm, a farm. Yeah, it, you know? it speaks to, you know, the insignificance of the human condition, but only through the lens of like, look at this horrible fucking stuff that happened to these people. Whereas in Annihilation, yes. it's like, this is the the end of, of humankind as we know it. But once again, do you consider that to be a, a horrible thing or do you consider it to just be kind of the way of existence, really? Uh, yeah, as, uh, you know what, it's the, the perfect word to, for it is it's it's. It's inevitable. Inevitable. It's inevitable. It's going to happen, no matter what we do, no matter how much money we put into it to fight it. It doesn't matter. Like either accept it or 
again, you'll have people fighting it, and ultimately they're just going to change maybe in a way that they didn't want to change. You know, it's almost like it choose not that it chooses, but like if you choose to accept it, you become this beautiful thing. You know, if you don't, you either get killed and you just die, like like you know, like or you become something like weird and like horrific looking, like a, a organic metal cover with your guts strewn out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love this film. I, I just I adore it. And like I said, usually I'm not like that with certain films this one is like oh you got me like so i'm, I'm happy you chose this one the shimmer would probably leave haku alone oh yeah no the shimmer would be like <laughs> it would go and it would go around him <laughs> yeah and haku would be like cool we're good <laughs> hey the shimmer have you ever had your eyes popped out of your skull because uh you'll know what that's that. like so we are um the cast of cthulhu uh you can email us i've i've realized i've i've been the past couple months i've been leaving at our email address which maybe explains why no one has emailed us but <laughs> we we do we do have an email address uh yeah. that is movies of madness at uh, gmail.com i am nolan fixes teeth on twitter james is fistful of media as a collective we are uh cast cthulhu and we are cthulhu cast on facebook um once again did it again don't really have a plan for march had plenty of time to do so and we we didn't um right but i i think i'm gonna i'm gonna put it on record here and put it out in the world so that way we are held to it i think we have to do heavy sigh miskatonic you so i i'm i'm assuming it's a theatrical and streaming release on the same day what theaters is playing this <laughs> one theater actually <laughs> okay side note you know when they say that, like, and especially when it's like a small, like, like one of those like shitty like Bruce Willis movies that mm-hmm. he probably fell asleep and woke up and he was doing a film. Sure. Um, they'll say day and date release, streaming and and you know in theaters. Yeah, it's usually in two theaters, <laughs> and it used to be one in California in L.A. Mm-hmm. and one in New York City, usually the Forty Second Street sure, yep. AMC, because mm-hmm. my brother would go to all those shitty movies. <laughs> either bruce willis or jean-claude van damme he would go see it mm-hmm. and he'd be like two people in there and they could say after one day oh look it was in theaters because <laughs> the producers that's all they signed oh it has to be in a theater yep. okay well yeah we'll throw it out in one or two theaters see you got it okay put it on streaming that's where we get the money it was um yeah i mean it, you're you're probably right and especially although i will say as of next week march 5th Movie theaters in New York City are yeah. open again at twenty five percent capacity, which is wonderful. But yeah, I, um, it was. The tw- will, will you be going to one of the New York City theaters anytime soon? Um, I'm probably gonna wait. Well, I yes. don't know. I'm probably gonna wait until at least my first vaccine. Okay. Uh, especially because a lot of the ones that I want to see will be simultaneous release on HBO Max the same yes, day same, and do that same. kind of thing. Um, I mean, even though I want to see Kong and Godzilla on a big screen, but. I don't want. I don't want to risk dying for that. You no, know. Yeah. No. I. I get it. And I mean. I, and I'm. I'm happy to that they're coming back. At least that way we know that theaters are not dead. And because. Yes. Listen. When when I do get vaccinated and when Eternals ultimately comes out, I'm going to oh. want to see that on the biggest possible format. So. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but yeah. So maybe. Miskatonic you. We'll, maybe we'll is... be doing Miskatonic you. Um. I'm sorry. I feel. I feel kind of bad that we're really never prepared and so publicly never prepared. Um, but hopefully that doesn't bother you because I think we always, you know, we always pull through and put out some some decent episodes. But maybe Miss Katonic, you maybe something else. Pay attention to our 
uh, Facebook feed primarily to kind of figure out what we are what we are doing. Once again, that's on Facebook as Cthulhu Cast. We are Cast Cthulhu on Twitter. But um, yeah, in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 